You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. Matthew chapter 5. If you have a copy of the scriptures with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 5. As you're turning there, I want you to consider a question. How many times, how many times over the past several months, Have you found yourself longing for peace? As you've watched senseless violence and you've seen cities burn and you've listened to vicious and angry words lobbed like verbal grenades back and forth between different groups of people in the midst of all of this, have you found yourself pleading with God to bring peace? As men and women made in the image of God, and for most in this room as committed followers of Jesus Christ, we have a God-given longing for peace. We see conflict rightly as the result of sin, and so we long for the devastation and chaos that sin causes. We, We long for it to be removed, and we long for peace to reign. In our study through the Sermon on the Mount this morning, we come to Matthew chapter 5, verses 9 through 12, and we'll examine what Jesus has to say about peacemaking, about persecution, and about joyful perseverance. As I've reminded you at the outset of each of the sermons in this series, what Jesus lays before us in the Beatitudes is not, it is not the way into the kingdom, but it's the way of the kingdom. The Beatitudes is not a list of self-improvement suggestions for all those who desire to become good enough to gain heaven one day. No, the Beatitudes outline what is true about those who have already turned to Christ in faith. Each Beatitude highlights another way in which a sinner has been transformed by grace. But of course, the work is not done. We must continue walking in the way of the kingdom, growing and changing until the final day, that day when we see Christ. So look with me now at Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Why does war and division and strife still exist? Why are we still seeing so much social upheaval uh, marked by racial tension and political conflict? Everywhere we look, it seems people are attacking each other, if not physically, then verbally. Is the problem that we just haven't discovered the secret solution? We haven't elected the right people or we haven't come up with just the right words and phrases because if we did, we would be able to diffuse everything we would be able to usher in perfect peace, right? Wrong. 
here is our key failure when we consider the brokenness of our world and the obvious need for peace. Our immediate response is to ask, what can I do? What do we need to change? Now, these are not bad questions, but they do reveal a dangerous tendency in all of us. When faced with difficulty, we are far too quick to look to and trust in our own devices and abilities. And we are far too slow to lift up our eyes to the hills. And remember that our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The peace we long for and the world so desperately needs can only come through the person and work of Jesus Christ. But thankfully, this is precisely what he came to do. And this is the work he has now called his church to engage in by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we walk through verses 9 through 12, I want to point out three admonitions. Very simple. Three admonitions embedded in these verses. One, pursue peace. Two, embrace suffering. Three, rejoice always. Easy to remember, very difficult to obey. First, pursue peace. Verse nine again. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. When we read, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, we should understand it in the same way we understood verse seven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. If you remember, I noted weeks ago that you can only show mercy if you have received mercy in Christ. And it is only those who have received mercy in Christ who will ultimately persevere in the faith and receive mercy eternally. The same is true here. Only one, only one who has already been given peace with God through Jesus Christ will live a life marked by the pursuit of peace. And of course, as Jesus says here, this is, this is the one who will enjoy peace eternally in the very presence of God. So again, as with everything in the Sermon on the Mount, the characteristics laid out in verses 3 through 11 are already true of those who belong to Christ, but they are also becoming increasingly true through faithful obedience to the way of Christ and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. So now, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? As we have found ourselves doing at every turn so far in our study through the Sermon on the Mount, we need to look to Jesus to answer this question. Remember, Jesus alone perfectly lived out this sermon. He perfectly embodies every characteristic and behavior in verses 3 through 11. Jesus is the definitive peacemaker, in fact, what does the prophet Isaiah call him? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, what? Prince of Peace. And the primary peace Jesus brings is peace between sinful man and a holy God, right? 
The Bible says because of sin, there is hostility that exists between God and man. Ephesians 2 refers to unredeemed sinners as children of wrath. In other words, every sinner has a profound need for peace, but is utterly and completely helpless to solve this problem. Friends, the only hope for sinners is found in Christ. You see, Christ voluntarily stepped into the middle of a profound conflict, and by the shedding of his own blood and the crushing of his body, he has secured peace where there was no peace. Jesus absorbed the Father's wrath. Jesus paid our sin debt. Jesus became our peace. Now, pay careful attention to what verse 9 says. Blessed are the peacemakers. It doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. Again, we must look to Jesus. Jesus didn't step into a dicey but generally peaceful relationship between a holy God and sinful men. No, he stepped into a world dominated by rebellion, false worship, sin, and death, and he made peace. Jesus didn't simply need to steer us in the right direction by setting a good example for us. No, he had to do everything that was necessary at unfathomable cost to himself. He did everything that was necessary to vanquish the hostility and deliver peace. So friends, Jesus was no mere peacekeeper. He was a peacemaker. He took initiative. He moved toward the mess. So what's the application for us? The words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 9 identify something that is already true, as I've already said and established. It's already true of Christ's followers, but it also calls us to a needed area of growth. Brothers and sisters, as those who have received the peace of Christ, we are called by God to bring that peace into the hostility of this world. The people of God should be on the front lines. The people of God should be on the front lines, not not of every political battle, as if better politicians and policies are the answer. But we must understand there are spiritual battles raging all around us all the time. War and poverty and suffering and injustice and pain exist ultimately because of sin. And while we cannot remove the presence and therefore the fruit of sin, here's what we can do. We can bring the hope of the gospel into the darkest and most confusing and most heartbreaking corners of this broken world. We are not only recipients of peace, but we are messengers of peace. Listen, we are God's own agents of peace. One commentator writes, the disciple of Jesus Christ must be a peacemaker in the broadest sense of the term. The Christian's role as peacemaker extends not only to spreading the gospel, but into every area of life. We are lovers and bringers of peace. 
do you see, brothers and sisters, how this is a call to action for all of us? This call has implications for even the most mundane moments and for the ordinary relationships of our life. We might be tempted when we think about peacemaking to think only about rioting and war. But Christ's call to make peace includes situations like these. Moms and dads, when tension and division exists within your own family, you must actively work in a Christ-like way to pursue peace. Husbands and wives, when there is contention in your marriage, it is not an option to ignore it. You must pursue peace, even if it means significant sacrifice. High school students, you should never be part of a group that actively looks down on someone else or creates unnecessary conflict with other groups of students. You should be known for loving and fostering peace. Church members, if there are factions within the church that need to be brought together around a table to honestly and humbly discuss certain issues that divide them, then there ought to be someone who takes the initiative. Pursuing peace where there is misunderstanding and even hostility. And if someone says, why, why are you doing this? What motivates you to do this? You say, well, I have received peace. This is what motivates me to bring peace. Friends, when there is racial tension and unrest like we've seen over the last several months, what does God desire from us? He desires that we think and act first like Christians, like those who have received what we do not deserve God does not want his people to shrink back in fear or stand idly by in ambivalence. No, true believers, those marked by meekness and mourning and mercy, true believers prayerfully and courageously move toward the tension, not away from it. Why? Again, because God did not turn his back on and run from us in our sin. When there was hostility, he acted in love and he brought peace by the blood of Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers. Those people who work they work in the midst of hostility to bring the quarrelsome together. For they shall be called sons of God. Now let me give you one observation before moving on. And this will, this will lead us into the next point. We must understand that Matthew 5, 9 is Christ's call to his people to pursue biblical peace. Our world is filled with innumerable peace counterfeits. Everywhere we turn right now, someone is putting forward a plan for peace. 
In fact, this is one of the primary reasons we hosted the seminar we did with Owen Strand just a few weeks ago. There are dangerous and worldly systems of thought that are promising peace, but all they will ever do is increase hostility. As redeemed sinners called by Jesus to be peacemakers, we must reject all man-made systems that promise ultimate peace, understanding that they are nothing more than gospel replacements. And they will fail. But again, that doesn't mean we stand on the sidelines. It doesn't mean we turn a blind eye. It means we embrace biblical peace and we bring Christ to bear on those places where there is hostility. Friends, what will the world's response be to those who reject man's wisdom and courageously declare the all-sufficiency of Jesus? Well, that's precisely what we find out in verses 10 through 11. First, pursue peace to embrace suffering. If you pursue peace, you will suffer. Embrace suffering. Look at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile or mock. They mock you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. That's slander. On my account, Jesus says, living as a member of God's kingdom, as a committed follower of Jesus Christ, will bring with it some measure of persecution and reviling and slander. This is an undeniable and irrefutable teaching of the scriptures. So it makes sense that following a reference to peacemaking, right, putting yourself in situations where parties are at odds and need to be encouraged or confronted about divisions that exist, this kind of courageous peacemaking could very easily lead to difficulty, hardship, and even as our text says, persecution, reviling, and slander. But Jesus wants us to know that when we experience these things for his sake, for the sake of Christ, it all falls under the category of suffering. This is one particular strain of suffering that God has ordained for his people. Now, please notice, notice what our text does not say. It does not say, blessed are those who call themselves Christians and are per persecuted when they act in obnoxious and unnecessarily divisive ways toward others. That's not what it says. It also doesn't say, more directly, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on account of you acting like an idiot. Right? That's not what the text says. Let me read it again. Look with me, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
Friends, what Jesus has in view here is the kind of life that the Beatitudes have described. When, when your life is marked by humility and true grieving over sin, when you are more hungry for a joyful life shaped by God's word than all that you can taste and touch and feel, when you show mercy as a way of life and seek peace, when this is the way you are living as a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, then it is certain, it is certain that you will be persecuted, you will be mocked, and you will be slandered. Now, some of you know what it means to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. You have been reviled, and you have had all kinds of evil said about you simply, simply because you love Christ and want him to be known. But this is not the case for everyone. And I think it's worth exploring why. Why does Jesus speak with certainty about something that many of us have never experienced? Why can't many Christians identify with a passage like this one? How have so many of us lived without any real experience of ridicule or persecution for righteousness sake? Well, I think there are a number of possible answers, but let me suggest just one. Maybe, maybe we don't suffer and we aren't reviled because our lives largely, if not entirely, lack any real distinction from those who reject the gospel. Friends, remember, this is the primary point of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is telling his followers what is and what will become increasingly distinct and different about them as citizens of his kingdom here on earth. This is why we said at the beginning, this is the upside-down kingdom. The Beatitudes are the characteristics, the authentic marks of his true followers. So let me say it this way. If what Jesus has laid out in verses three through 11 is not true of you, I'm not talking about perfectly true, but if it is not true at all, then you may very well be on the outside of the kingdom looking in. In fact, as it relates to persecution, D.A. Carson writes this. If the disciple of Jesus, if the disciple of Jesus never, never experiences any persecution at all, it may fairly be asked where righteousness is being displayed in his life. In other words, and, and to put it bluntly, no one sees anything in your life worth persecuting you for. They can't find anything to mock. To say it another way, your life makes perfect sense to your unsaved friends because it's exactly like theirs. 
there seems to be a growing obsession in evangelical churches with proving or with trying to prove to the onlooking world how much we are just like them. We spend so much time and energy downplaying any distinction there might be. And friends, I have to believe that this way of thinking has shaped each of us in ways we will only see if the Holy Spirit graciously exposes them to us. Redeemer, I, I fear that some of you will be quick to respond to this sermon by thinking, well, well, we don't live in a part of the world that persecutes Christians, and that's obviously why most of us have never experienced it. But brothers and sisters, we cannot say, we cannot say that we live in a part of the world that does not revile and mock anything that even looks like courageous, counter-cultural, biblical Christianity. Now, to be clear, I'm not encouraging you to seek out mockings. But I am pleading with you. I'm pleading with you to stop trying so hard to avoid them. Martin Lloyd-Jones reminds us, why are peacemakers blessed? The answer is that they are blessed because they are absolutely unlike everybody else. The peacemakers are blessed because they are the people who stand out as being different from the rest of the world and they are different because they are children of God. You see, we have to do something with this text. The kingdom of heaven and the great eternal reward of Christ himself is for those who have remained faithful in the face of persecution and mocking and slander. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Now at this point, some of you, some of you might be wondering why I've been referring to the Beatitudes as the good life. Because this doesn't sound like the good life. This sounds terrible. Here, Run to conflict and declare and work for gospel peace, but be prepared to experience persecution and mocking and slander. Sounds great, doesn't it? Well, here's, here's why we can still say this is the good life. 
pursue peace, embrace suffering, finally rejoice always. Look at verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Notice the end of verse 9 and 10 and see how they feed into verse 12. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yes, God has called his people to lives of suffering. This has always been true, right? This is why Jesus mentions the prophets who were before you as committed worshipers of God, walk in obedience to God, they will be persecuted, they will be mocked, they will be slandered, they won't fit in. However, as one commentator so wonderfully observed, as difficult as the persecution is, the reward far outweighs the hazard. As difficult as the persecution is, the reward far outweighs the hazard. To be called sons of God in verse 9 and to possess the kingdom of God in verse 10. Both of these are part and parcel of the great heavenly reward referenced in verse 12. And notice again, notice again that there is a connection between the command to rejoice and the assurance of a heavenly reward. Why, why can't some Christians rejoice in the midst of suffering? Why aren't they, why why don't they possess the fuel they need to persevere in suffering? Because they have no, they have no view of the true reward. If you believe the reward is here, then you won't put yourself in the place of hostility. You won't work for peace. You you won't put yourself in a position where you could be mocked and reviled because you'll miss out on what you believe is the, the best reward. That's something you experience here. Now, this this points us beyond, beyond this life to something far, far greater. How can Jesus command rejoicing after he is guaranteed we will suffer? How does Jesus know that the promised reward is enough to produce perseverance and fuel rejoicing. Well, brothers and sisters, Jesus, Jesus can say this because he alone knows it to be absolutely true. Jesus knows beyond any shadow of a doubt that the reward of heaven will, be, will more than compensate for any suffering we must endure in the service of Christ. Rejoice and be glad, 
for great is your reward in heaven. I, I love what one theologian says here. There is a mystery here. There is a mystery here. The mystery of joy in the midst of agony. The mystery of gladness in the midst of misery and groaning. And this mystery is contained in a miracle, namely the miracle of faith. The bedrock assurance that heaven, listen to this, the bedrock assurance that heaven is a hundredfold compensation for every pain. To the degree that you believe what Jesus sees in heaven, to that degree, you will be able to rejoice and be glad in suffering. Remember, it is Jesus himself who says, rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And we could add on to that, trust me, I know what I'm talking about. This is the good life. This is the good life. We work for peace. We endure persecution. We fight to persevere. And we trust the testimony of the one who is infinitely trustworthy, Jesus himself. Jesus himself who declares to his people those living as outcasts, those who are mocked and slandered by their friends and family on account of Christ, and I know that's some of you in here. You, you feel this loneliness. You've, you've endured this persecution. You've been reviled. You've been mocked by your own family members, by people in the workplace, by friends, because, because of your faith in Christ and because you treasure Christ. And, and so I know, I know you need encouragement. as you long for peace and you feel the weight of worldly rejection, please hear the tender words of Jesus. It's as if you're sitting in the corner with tears in your eyes and Jesus comes to you and says, Rejoice. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Keep going. Don't be afraid to live this good life, even though everyone around you and all the voices you hear say it's, it's a waste. It's miserable. Listen to the words of Jesus and trust him. Trust him this morning. Let's pray.